Hi, welcome to Monks and Punks, the podcast hosted by me, Sander Hicks. This is a space for radical spirituality, democratic socialism, creative resistance, outer peace, and the spontaneous magic of human connection. Yes, we are out to change the world. Everything is possible. Monks and Punks, and we have a very special guest today. One of the influences on me as an independent publisher and as a punk rocker. Her name is Shauna Kenny, and she's an old friend of mine. I'll give you a more formal introduction in a second, but first, hi, Shauna. How are you? Hi, I'm great. So good to see you again. You look I know, exactly. It's been way same. too long. We haven't actually laid eyes on each other, not in Facebook. For like twenty or thirty years, I th- let me try I th- to let me try to f- recreate who you are to me. You were originally okay. <laughs> this fierce, independent female punk publisher of No Scene Zine. You and your partner Pam, and yeah. you also introduced me to Sean from Swizz and Dag Nasty, and introduced me to NWA. The first time I ever heard NWA was hanging out with you. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> I didn't know that. Yeah. yeah Good influences. Yeah. 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 But now you're also kind of a big deal and you're going to be at the Punk Rock Museum next month or later this month. And you're the author of I Was a Teenage Dominatrix. I never even knew that you were a dominatrix. I know. A lot of people didn't. It was a secret. It was a big secret back then. I thought even my punk rock peers might judge me. So um, I was very closeted about it at the time. But yeah, that's that's my first book. I've written four books. And that was my first one. It's a memoir. It came out in 1999. So we're celebrating the we're coming up on the 25th anniversary. And it's in its third printing with the new publisher, Punk Hostage Press, another great indie publisher. Wow. Punk um, Hostage Press. Yes. Are you familiar with them? Out of L.A. Iris Berry runs it. She's, I've never heard of them before now. Yeah, she's put out a lot of punks books and she's a poet herself. And I met her while living out in L.A. And she's like kind of from the late 70s, early 80s, L.A. punk scene. Oh, my gosh. Herself performed, was in a band called the Ringling Sisters. And, you know, she's part of that whole legacy. Like SST and and Minutemen and uh, Ray. She knows all of them. Yeah. Like she's from that era. Right. Right. I mean, I hung out once with Raymond Pettibon when I was hitchhiking across the country, and I had no idea that I think he's actually the brother of Greg Ginn. Yeah. Of SST. And then, like, I met Greg Ginn's dad, and I was hanging out <laughs> at Greg Ginn's house with. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. And I was, I told Greg Ginn's dad, I was like, you've really started a lot of radical stuff. And he was like, well, as long as I don't get into trouble. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. Oh, that's right. So you were riding cross country on your motorcycle? I've ridden cross country any way I can. I've done hop, I've hopped trains, hitchhiked, and done is that the last time I saw you with the documentary? When was the last time you saw me? Because you were just about to t- say when the, when the last time I saw you was, and I was like, wait, we got to hit record because this is a problem. Okay, I think the last time I saw you was in L.A. and you were traveling with the documentary, the Fortunate oh, documentary, Horns and Halo, and we went to your screening, I think, in L.A. Wow. But before that. The last time I had seen you on the East Coast was super random in New York. 
I was in New York for a show or something at CB's and walking down the street. I'm walking one way, you're walking the other. <laughs> like the Dag Nasty song. Like, yeah. And um, you were on your way. I think you were doing a play or producing some a theater or something. And you're like, hey, Shauna. And we stopped and hugged. And you're like, I wrote a character in my play that does a zine. And she's sort of based on you. And I was like, oh, my God, that's amazing. Let's keep in touch. And like, I think you threw me a business card. And I went on my way. And you went on yours. And then I didn't hear from you again for many years. (laughs) And yet, Facebook is kind of amazing for visual contact. So I know you have a great partner in Rich. And uh, you guys have Mm -hmm. done a lot renovations recently and you just got a new home and that's uh pretty uh in need of a gut reno and you gutted it out yourself and you learned about spackling and taping which is essential skills that every everyone should know (laughs) diy diy totally totally (laughs) diy warrior in many forms yeah so you're doing this thing at punk rock museum tell us about the controversy the controversial punk rock museum what is controversial about it well, I mean, it's not that controversial to me, but I guess it's, you know, punks love to pick everything apart. We're really good at being critical. So, of course, anybody who's going to attempt such a feat as to preserve punk rock in a place, all in one place, and charge money for people to come see it is going to be criticized. Yeah. Um, so, you know, they've they've only been open for a year. and. I think it's an impressive effort. I haven't been there yet, but Fat Mike, the owner of Fat Records, and he plays in No Effects. Yeah, band. Um, wreck. He put his own money. Yeah, he put right. his own money until he bought a whatever ten thousand square foot warehouse in Las Vegas, and apparently they have donations from bands all over the world of. I mean, punk bands from every era, and they've got live shows going on, and different punk people get acting as tour guides and docents. And it seems like, you know, a very ambitious endeavor. So I was invited to be part of this exhibit with Jeffrey Everett, who is an artist from the DC area. He's sort of maybe one punk generation down younger than me. He's of the nineties era. He's made a lot of band posters, ton of, people's favorite band posters for everyone from Social Distortion to Iggy Pop to Gaslight Anthem, all kinds of posters. Um, I bought one of his posters years ago, a Bouncing Souls poster in DC. And it's a picture of a girl sitting on, a punk girl sitting on the Metro, the DC Metro with blonde hair and tattoos and a backpack sitting near her and just kind of zoning out, listening to music on her headphones. And I loved the illustration bought it, framed it, it hung in my apartment for years in LA. A lot of people who came over asked me if it was me uh-huh. and in the photo or in the drawing. And I said, no, 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 that's funny that you say that. It's just a girl with blonde hair, but it speaks to me because it's DC Metro and it speaks to my youth. And I never knew the artist, but when it came time for my book to be reprinted, um, I had the option of having a new cover so yeah. I reached out to him and asked him if we could maybe commission that drawing from the Bouncing Souls poster and use that as a cover. And he was so sweet. He said, I have all of your books. I what? love your writing. Let's 
come up with something truly original inspired by that same Bouncing Souls poster. And so he it became you. He imagined it and made it look like me. It really is me now. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, and Maybe a little bit younger, added, but yes, it's you. <laughs> yeah, it was me younger with yellow hair. Uh, but yeah, he added all these great details, the little X pin, the DC flag and the bad brains pin and X right. on my hand. Right. You know, so the X on your hand, for those that don't know the subculture, the X on your hand is a symbol of straight edge, which is the no drugs and drinking movement inside punk rock that and inside hardcore punk rock that was uh, more or less started by Ian Mackay. And that would be an interesting topic to talk about, because I know in your bio, you like to say you grew up in the D.C. area at the time or under the influence of Fugazi. So why don't you talk a little mm -hmm. bit about the influence of Fugazi and Minor Threat and Straight Edge? Yeah. Um, well, yeah, for those who don't know, Straight Edge was a faction of punk rock, hardcore, um, inspired by the Minor Threat song Straight Edge. And Minor Threat is from Washington, D.C. And they're from the early 80s, earlier than when I was going to shows. But I started going to shows about 84. Minor Threat was long broken up. And I wrote Ian a fan letter, actually. <laughs> there was an interview with him in the Washington Post in 1985, I think. He was talking about his new band, Embrace. And my mom cut the interview out and gave it to me because she knew that I was a fan of Minor Threat and read the interview. And he said he answers all of his fan mail. And I, at the time, I was starting my fanzine, No Scene Zine. Named so because I lived in a very small town in Southern Maryland, like an hour and a half south of D.C. And we just thought there was nothing cool in our town and we had no scene. You know, all the scene was up in D.C. or Baltimore. So I wrote him a fan letter. And to my surprise, he wrote me back and he really encouraged me to continue with my fanzine. And he did an interview with me through the mail and he encouraged me to say hello. Should I ever see him at a show? And that just really... It really meant the world to me, and it really set the premise for punk rock for me, like showed me that there were no rock stars and, and that we don't need to be afraid of one another and we can talk to each other and learn from each other. And he was sort of a, a punk elder to me. And from there, we became friends over the years. You know, I went to see a lot of Fugazi's first shows, just like you, with, with you, probably. Yeah. Um, yeah, and no, let's talk about that. I mean, they, they, I was, those, yeah, had a big, huge influence on me. I just got interviewed by some punk historians uh, at the at a music club at JMU where I went for a couple of years, and mm. they asked me about Fugazi's first shows. Mm -hmm. What I described was the physical vibration of mm. intimate space like DC space, this little club on Seventh and E. And the stage was only six inches high, right? <laughs> yeah. And Fugazi was playing this kind of groove that was punk, but it was also influenced by funk and reggae. <laughs> and so that's that do 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 And the, oh, the whole crowd would be bouncing. Just, and yeah, bouncing together. Yeah. High, yeah. Sweating <laughs> together. And, and the, the, I remember the heat and the feeling of the moisture. Yeah, the walls sweating. <laughs> yeah, the walls were sweating, right? <laughs> yeah. They started playing bigger shows uh, for like positive force benefits, right? Mm -hmm. At the Wilson Center or outside right. at Fort Reno Park. Yeah. Right. 
right. and never ne- never charged more than five dollars. Never signed to a major label, even though I'm sure they had tons of offers. You they know, did. just really those people would major label major labels would call in and say. We just want to have a conversation because we hear you're having a conversation with somebody else. And he was like, no, I told that guy I didn't want to have a conversation. And I said, <laughs> well, at least we can have a conversation. So he so he said, okay, I'll have a conversation, but I'm not going to sign to a major label. Yeah. So major label calls him because it says, oh, I heard you had a conversation with this guy. So Yeah, yeah. And I think also he never did an interview with Rolling Stone or any of those magazines because they ran liquor ads. But he would do interviews with little zines and... And art mags and independent yeah. mags, you know, over the years. So yeah. I always really admired that. Yeah, you know what I was thinking the other day is that like he's kind of like a truly historical figure because he tr- he truly did it differently. And mm-hmm. I mean, I think I've judged him a lot in my life, thinking like, oh, well, you could have reached a larger audience, but his influence, you know, it, the influence of saying no, it's you don't have to sell out. You don't have to compromise or be pro-war. You can be very anti-war, anti-rape, anti-toxic masculinity, yeah. anti-punk stereotype, anti-violent punk stereotype. Yeah. And I think that was hugely influential on so many people that inspired us to go farther and do more. And, you know, and so I also have stayed in touch with him over the years, not lately, but like, mm-hmm. you know, getting him books from Soft Skull. He used to be a big fan of Todd Colby's poetry, mm-hmm. and, uh, sending him books, and he would send me Longfish records and stuff, so. Yeah. Oh, he's been supportive over the... He he came to my book reading on my book, on my first book tour at Olson's Records when I stopped in D.C. Olson's yeah. Records? Now you're talking about some old, <laughs> yeah, stuff, yeah. old stuff. Yeah. So he was supportive then, and uh, Rich and I put out a book a few years ago called Live at the Safari Club. It's an oral history of the club that I booked for a couple of years, and a few people booked it after me, and Ian wrote a nice little blurb for the back, and he came to our event at the D.C. Public Library in 2017. there's a young Sander Hicks in that book. Yeah. <laughs> Are you in the crowd? I think yeah. I'm in the crowd. I think, I think some I think... of the crowd shots. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sweating yeah. it up to some hardcore. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. I was like, oh, these safari club shows, it's almost, it's like a little bit more north in the city, just a little bit, a little bit north of the old 930 club. But it mm-hmm. was like so much closer to New York because all the New York bands were coming down and playing those yep. shows at safari club. So there was like, uh, there was just a lot of like Revelations records and uh, straight edge hardcore. Mm-hmm. It was just a lot harder and more militant. Yeah. yeah. But we also, we like to mix it up. Like, you know, we booked Ignition and King Face. That's right. I saw yeah. that show. That Ignition was great. I love that band. That's local. It's Swizz. A lot of local bands that, you know, maybe couldn't play the bigger places or didn't mind playing with New York hardcore bands. Exactly. No, I mean, I think, you know, I think some of the Discord bands by that point, like, just were kind of over the the violence or aggression of hardcore. It was, yeah. you know, decided took another turn during revolution summer in 85 so hey since we're talking about dc punk and discord and its circle around discord you ever did you ever get into a band called no trend no i know of them but i don't really know their music okay great because 
there was a there was a little store here called Other Music, and I um, after living in DC, I got a, a CD of No Trend, and I was like, oh my god, this is the most punk band <laughs> ever. And like, then I later asked Ian Mackay at a, a show they were doing at Palladium in New York City about No Trend, and he was like. He was like, no, they hated the the Discord scene for some reason. They just hated us so much. Oh, could never okay. really be. A, yeah, they. they <laughs> Where they, were they, they from? Like Towson, like in between Baltimore, uh, DC, Maryland. Okay, Maryland. Yeah, they were from Maryland. Okay, but um, some of the most vitriolic and smart sociological critique punk. Oh, wow. How did I miss them? Well, I'm going to have to look them up now. I love discovering bands later. I'm like a late fan to a lot of bands. Yeah. Well, I think <laughs> if if I ever make a contribution to the Punk Rock Museum, I will do a lecture on No Trend, the punk rock band <laughs> that punk rock forgot. There you go. At a loss for, yeah. <laughs> nice Before and great. Let's, let's talk about a very different kind of band because No Trend was a punk band on the left who was against everyone and had no following. But there was this other band that you interviewed for No Scenes, and I want to just talk about the experience <laughs> of Warzone. And this is a band that I kind of liked. They were a skinhead band. Um, yeah. A lot of people don't understand the skinheads were not all bad, that there were some good skinheads and bad skinheads. But mm-hmm. I, And we have different memories here, too, the, uh, from 30 yes. years past. So we can <laughs> talk about those differences. But I'll tell you what I remember is that you had an interview with Warzone in your zine, mm-hmm. and they said some things that were like kind of anti-gay. Yeah. And then in the review of your magazine in Maximum Rock and Roll, they said, "Oh, Warzone is displaying their same old homophobia." Yeah. yeah. I think we all learned something there. But then, <laughs> but then later, like skinhead girls were. Go- I remember these skinhead girls, or I remember you or Pam complaining that like skinhead girls were ganging up on you and surrounding you and being like. Hey, girl, do you, st- do you publish a magazine? Yeah. <laughs> do you remember it slightly differently. How do you remember all that? Well, yeah. I mean, the skinhead girls wanted to beat us up before the Warzone article. So. Why is that? That was just an ongoing thing. I don't know. I think because we weren't skinhead girls. I don't know. We were booking shows and we were we tried to be friendly with everybody and I don't know. I got the feeling that maybe they didn't like that we were friendly with some of their skinhead boyfriends. I don't know. Um, you kiss a skinhead boyfriend that you shouldn't. Have no, kissed? no. <laughs> <laughs> I plead the fifth. No, I really didn't. Um, and I didn't know these girls, but I was terrified of them. We would be at shows, and they would be dancing really hard and like purposely bump into us and. Pam had just had a serious back surgery at the time. So I was scared that she was going to become, you know, Perk. paralyzed if, oh. if she got hit too hard. So I get mad at them, but I wasn't really brave enough to stand up to them myself. And so I remember one time at DC space getting bumped into and kind of yelling at them and then them getting in my face. And then John from DSI records made us all step outside and talk about it while he's drinking his beer (laughs) but but what's so funny is i mean you know whatever they they didn't like us for whatever reason and then years later one of them 
I saw at the auto bar, I think at a Bouncing Souls show or something, and a mutual friend tried to introduce us. And he's like, oh, Shauna, you know her. She hugged me. Oh, yeah. You know, like as if we were old friends and maybe she doesn't <laughs> remember how scared everyone was of her, you know? So it's yeah. like, you know, there was a lot of stuff like that that came up when we did the Safari Club book, like old frenemies that, you know, we we mended a lot of fences in doing that that book because all that stuff that mattered so much when we were 18 isn't so important now. But anyway, the warden interview, I had my little zine. It was a group interview. It was me and Tim from Verbal Spew Zine, <laughs> Tim and Hubert. Yeah, my old friend. Yeah. Yep. Um, and me and Pam. And I think Toby was there too. My friend Toby, who I grew up with in Southern Maryland and is now the singer of H2O. He moved away to New York and started a band I called H2O. I remember that. Yeah, H2O. So he was part of the interview too. Um he was and, the little brother of the band, the trio, the uh, called Outcast or something. What were they? Outcrowd. Yes, Outcrowd. It was an Outcrowd. I didn't yes. remember that. I remembered that, but I remember Outcrowd. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And Pod, yeah. Pod plays in H two O two, and now he plays in the Offspring. Um, no kidding. Yeah. So the and they people. <laughs> <laughs> All these people came out of Southern Maryland, where we thought we had nothing going on. But anyway, we interviewed them as a group outside of the West after their show. And Rabies was generally very nice until Tim asked him, what do you think of Maximum Rock and Roll? (laughs) And then he kind of went on a a rant about, you know, some people there are cool and I've written op-eds there and they've published them and I feel very grateful. But then he like went on and on about how how they have these opinions about homosexuality and how it's okay and shit like that. And, and it's like being read by a lot of impressionable young kids and blah, 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 blah. It's just like this whole rant that takes up like half the page. Right. And so um, for people that can't see Shauna right now, she is reading, she found her old zine war zone and yeah. And the print is so tiny. I can barely read it with my glasses. It's right. like typewriter print that we probably shrunk down to, you know, seven point font or something yeah yeah Yeah. Uh, i don't know do you want me to read part of his rant i don't want to give it that much time i think i think what i learned from that is that like at the time it just sounded like another guy at catholic school and uh it didn't strike Mm -hmm. me as controversial but like i was also an avid reader of maximum rock and roll and when they said this is homophobic i was like i learned the definition of homophobia there i think at age 16 or 15 you know yeah and you know i didn't I didn't know about the Maxim Rock and Roll fallout until years later. Like I wasn't paying attention. You know, this this zine probably came out months after the interview was done. And then the Maxim and then I probably sent it to Maxim Rock and Roll for a zine review. And then probably came out months later. And by that time I was struggling in college and like have experiencing a really bad breakup with a boyfriend and I was just like not doing the zine anymore and not really worried about what anybody thought of my zine. Yeah. <laughs> but um, I just, know, but I, I remember it differently because I remember the maximum rock and roll re- interview or review okay. of your zine. And I remember them saying like, Interesting. You know, not everything that this guy from Warzone said was okay. Yeah. And when I looked at that review online, like maybe a year ago, um, it said something like, and we wonder, wonder why the editors didn't call him out on his homophobia. And thinking back on it, I think Tim and I like did look at each other like, 
God, I can't believe he's saying all this stuff. Like he just sounded like a crazy man yeah. altogether ranting. But I was 18. I don't know how old Rabies was. Older seemed intimidating. I was kind of like, we ran his words exactly as he said them without any editorializing. I mean, I don't believe in censorship. I believe in letting people hang themselves by their words. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I mean, like it's not that I agreed with anything he said. It's just like, okay, these, these are his rantings. This is who he is. At right. the same time, like, and then after that rant, we ask a couple more questions about how his how the record's selling and who are his favorite bands. And he talks about how he loves the bad brains and um and scene violence. And then somebody's yelling at him that, that the band has to go. They're like, yo, we got to get out of here. And he's like, no, this is important. I want to stay here and finish the interview. And we asked a couple more questions and then and then he left, you know. So people are complex, you know, and he's not here to speak for himself anymore. So yeah. You don't hear that much about skinheads anymore. I wonder, since we knew people like Chance and Derek, um, people that would come to parties at my house that were skin, real skinheads, um, mm-hmm. I wonder where they are now. Where, where is people like Chance and Derek? Have, have they have they kind of grown into other forms of working class? Uh, yeah, actually, I know, I know that Chance is a plumber and lives in Northern Virginia and has a family and, you know, he's left all of that stuff behind. I don't really know what happened to Derek. I hung out with him a little bit back in those days. And um, he was actually very kind to me. I was kind of couch surfing and homeless at the time and bouncing around from place to place. And he let me stay at his mom's house for a week while I was trying to get back on my feet. So that's great that he helped you out. Yeah. I Even though he was crazy as anything at shows and they were the guys that would like show up with walkers or, you yeah. know, change stolen from busted parking meters or like, I think in some of the safari club photos, he, they have blood on their shirts like who knows what happened in the pit, but, um, but he, he was, he was nice to me. So um, I hope he's okay wherever he is. I don't know. What about the lead singer of Immoral Discipline? Whatever happened to that guy? Yeah, I don't know. I did. I ran into him too. What show was that? Outside of the new 930 club, which, you know, it's been the old Moose Hall, right? Yeah. Yeah. I ran into him maybe 10 years ago. And for um, those that don't know, this is one of the ironies of D.C., but when you were a punk in the hardcore scene in the 80s in D.C., and you wanted to go to something like the Super Bowl of hardcore, you had <laughs> to go all the way up to V Street, and it felt like you were in Nowheresville, but it was this mm-hmm. giant venue called the WUST Hall, or the Woost Hall, I mean, a radio station that no longer is on the air, right? No longer is on the air. Yeah, an old. It was an old soul and R and B station that was off the oh, air. Okay. Like the a big hall. empty hall, big huge. Empty. And the only people that would book shows there were skinheads, skinhead <laughs> bands. Yeah. And then yeah. the nine thirty club, which was like the hot club down at nine thirty F Street. I guess it got gentrified out of the emerging China. Yeah, it was more they of a moved, They the moved. They took over the old Woost Hall, and I. I and you know what? To this day, I've never been to the new 930 Club. I'm like, too. And, <laughs> and I've never, people never, like, I will never go to the new 930. <laughs> yeah, only people our age still call it the new 930, too, because now it's been there since, I think, 95. 
<laughs> so it's not bad new, but it's not that new, new Sander. Yeah, not that new old guy. Ninety five, bro. <laughs> yeah, yeah. going to be thirty years ago in about a year. So anyway, yeah, <laughs> that's funny. I guess I'm dating myself. So, yeah. but DC was a good place, good punk scene to grow up in, don't you think? I feel so lucky now that I've lived in other cities and met other punks and um, had the years and time to reflect on what we had. Absolutely. You know, um, I love it so much. Political force, political activism. Positive force was the political activist group and just the the, the culture of political activism yeah. combined with culture. You know, I drank my first soy milk at a, a show, a positive force show. And, uh, and it was so earthy. I was like, oh, this is like liquid dirt, but I could get used to it. <laughs> <laughs> but I could like it. Yeah, one of my first shows was uh, a PETA benefit at the Washington Monument. Um, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I became vegetarian at that show. I was there. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so there was like a big vegetarian influence and punk percussion protests in front of the White House. Yeah. And Amnesty International speakers at shows and yeah. people raising money that, you know, for people who were going to Nicaragua because of the Iran Contra scandal. And, I mean, just raised my awareness to a level that I don't think it would have reached had I not been a part of punk rock and and yeah. in the punk rock in the center of the nation's capital. I mean, that's there's something really unique about that, I think. So you personally, have you always been straight edge or did you go out? Did you break edge and then come back to straight edge or? <laughs> yeah, I didn't even think of it like that. But yeah, I I didn't drink the whole time that I booked Safari Club shows when I was a teenager. And then when I went to college, I drank a little bit here and there, um, going out to clubs, dancing and experimented. But it never it just never really agreed with me. It gave me an upset stomach every time I drank. So I was like, why am I doing this to myself? Yeah. So I stopped a long time ago. Um, and yeah, probably, I don't know when I didn't really mark my last drink because I don't have um, an addiction to it, but it was probably in my early twenties. Mm-hmm. Yeah. At 40, I got, I got sober. So I, I did, I did mark uh-huh. it and I did count days. Okay. Did count Good for you. Yeah. And I felt like, Oh, this is a lot like being straight edge. <laughs> Without, but yeah, know. different. I do hear people doing yeah. that comparison. They're like, well, yeah. you know, you have it's a similar in some ways and different in some ways because you're not bitterly angry about religion, but you're actually using the higher power to uh, yeah. sense of the higher power of a higher yeah. help to help you do the steps, turn it over. Yeah. Beautiful. You know, the, some of the most self-aware people I know are in 12-step programs or in recovery. And I think it's a beautiful thing. Yes, and of course, the rules of anonymity preclude me from identifying as being a member of any anonymous group. But, but uh, <laughs> a lot of people talk about it these days, though, about themselves. Yeah. You're not outing someone else, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. But at the level of press, TV, and radio, the formal rules are that I can't. I'm not identifying as a member of any one. Okay. Group, but but recovery in general has been great, and the twelve steps have been great, and. Uh, they really worked for me. And yeah. so if anybody out there needs needs help, it's out there. If you're looking for it, just knock on the door and the door will be open to you or contact me or anybody else mm. uh, in the in a program. And there, there there's a program out there if you're looking for it. But you got to take the first step of wow. knocking on the door. 
Yeah. And especially, and myself. So. Oh yeah, good for you. Especially <laughs> former straight edge people that are like like angry about straight edge. Um, recovery might be uh, the next uh, good step for you. So, mm. all right, let's see. How are we doing on time here? I think we're doing good. Is there anything else that you wanted to cover in this? Um, tell us again. You're gonna. What are your dates for your punk rock museum the exhibit? Yeah, the exhibit opens. Friday, February 2nd at 6 p.m. Jeffrey and I will uh, give a little artist talk and talk about our individual journeys as artists and then how we met. And he will have, I don't know, I think something like 85 posters on display. Wow. Uh, Las Vegas, Nevada. Do you have an address yeah. for us in Las Vegas? I should. Don't, shouldn't I Google it? But um <laughs> <laughs> And I will be the only punk rock museum. Yes, it shouldn't be hard to find. Or East. (laughs) And I'm going to be sharing some of my own personal effects um, from my private punk archive, like zine, like interview questions, cassettes, photos, other bigger magazines that I wrote for along the way after my zine and some of my books that I've written or contributed to will be there as well. And then Saturday, February 3rd, I'm teaching a zine making workshop. Oh, sweet. At, from 12 to 3. And it's free for kids 15 and under with paid admission with an, a, a, an adult guardian. And I'm pre made these zines that I'm going to be showing them how to cut and fold. And they're all out of Safari Club flyers from the 80s. Oh, cool. Wow. So if you want to come make, a mini zine and have a bunch of eighties flyers of your own. You can come to the punk rock museum on Saturday, February 3rd. That's great. Is any of this also online or is it only in person? Oh, the events are only in person, but I believe the exhibit will be up for six weeks. I'll just be there for two days. Nice. Great. And how do people get in contact with you, Shauna? Um, through my website, shawnakenny.com, S-H-A-W-N-A-K-E-N-N-E-Y.com. I am a writing coach. I teach writing through UCLA Extension, and I also run a writing retreat in Denmark every summer called Hamlet's Hideaway. So hit me up if you have writing dreams of your own that I can help you with. Oh, you are a coach, and you are a catalyst, and you are the bridge to the future, for future oh. writers, I can tell female and male and young and old. It's shawnakenny.com, ladies and gentlemen. S-H-A-W-N-A-K-E-N-N-E-Y.com. She's in Las Vegas for two nights only, February 2nd and February 3rd. <laughs> I sound like Frank Sinatra. <laughs> I know. I know. It sounds like you're you're with Elvis and um, I'm Britney Spears. Um. Frank Sinatra with Elvis and Richard Nixon. <laughs> February We're doing show, kids, two nights in a row only. Two nights, two nights only, February 2nd, February 3rd, at, at the Punk Rock Museum, which is right next to probably something cool or not. <laughs> it is a warehouse in the middle of nowhere in Las Vegas. <laughs> yes, yes, come see me. Oh, you're such an inspiration, Sander. Thank you for reaching out. Um, we didn't even get to talk about It's Academic. Oh, well, we could do, we could, we could delay, we could delay our, our closing. <laughs> what do you know about It's Academic? I think you were on twice as a teenager. 
Uh, three times, three. actually. Three times. Oh, I stand I on for two years, and we won one of our our bouts. So we were on twice in one year, and then we lost. But uh, now, was that a regional show or national? It was regional. It was WRC TV, NBC, okay. the NBC affiliate up near the Discord house somewhere. Uh, okay. Of North Northwest DC. WRC TV uh, hosted by Mac McGarry. That's right. <laughs> Remember him? Yeah, he was like an yeah. uh, 85-year-old version of my Hollywood voice. And uh, But he was really, really, really funny guy. And his academic was kind of like a Jeopardy for kids type of show. TV game show. That's right, for high school uh, high school teams. Yeah. Um, to answer quizzes. And I got some right, and I got some colossally wrong. <laughs> <laughs> Will you? I, 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 effed what up, I effed up on the pronunciation of Ithaca, the hometown of Ulysses. Oh, I know. <laughs> I had this weird brain fart where I I thought of ichthyologists, the 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 study of fish, you know. And so I I said Ithaca, and he said, oh, oh, "Excuse me, oh. excuse me." I said Ithaca, and he was like, "Oh, I'm sorry." Judges say no. Oh, <laughs> yeah, bummer. But I remember when I met you, that was one of your claims to fame. I think somebody else told me that about you. So you've always been a super smarty pants. You uh, also taught me how to play Lola on the bass. I don't know if you remember that. But I remember that, no. You came over to me and Pam's house and uh, gave me some bass lessons. Oh, so, great. Thank great. you. Well, um, I'll tell you what was what I really learned from its academic was that I wasn't the smartest kid in class, but I mm-hmm. was a good recruiter. And so I went to the smartest kid in class who was named Lou Krishak. And I said, uh-huh. Lou, we got this club. It's the, it's academic club. You <laughs> would be great on television. <laughs> he wouldn't, he actually wasn't the most charismatic guy on television, but he was the smartest <laughs> kid in class. And that is the year that we won. And I was like, ha ha. Not only can I answer questions, but I I know who to pull into the team. Yes, yes. Way to produce, Sander. No, I was the producer of a winning team. (laughs) It's like that movie. You ever see that movie um, about like the whole football team dies and they have to recreate a whole football team and they recruit from like the basketball team and stuff. Um, I don't know. uh, It's a good, it's an independent film, but it's really good. Um, I mean, you you got a good eye, kid. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's on the tip of my tongue. But anyway. We'll find it. It's Academic with Mac McGarry. Yeah. <laughs> and Sander Hicks. <laughs> it's Sander Hicks. That's right. That's right. That's I awesome. wonder who's hosting it now because it can't possibly be Mac McGarry. He'd be like, 100. Is it still on? Oh my God. Still on. Should we do a quick Google? What? Or like, when is the podcast going to end? <laughs> <laughs> It's we academic. Don't about DC WRC, Minutia. WRC TV. It has its own uh, website called It's Economic Quiz Show. So it's still going on. Oh my God. It's Who in knew? the Guinness Book of World Records. Yeah. I did not know that. By the way, the Punk Rock Museum is at 1422 Western Ave in Las Vegas. Oh, okay, great. 1422 Western Ave in Las Vegas. I just realized I could Google too. Good. I'm going to put this in the show notes. And so it'll be a part of my promotion of the show. I will put your dates, your shaunakenny.com and your 1422 Western Ave, Las Vegas, 
Viva Las Vegas. I was thinking the exact same thing. The, the Jello Biafra, Dead Kennedy's remake Very. of Elvis, Elvis Presley's Viva Las Vegas. And yeah. I wrote an article for a magazine, a travel magazine, a couple of years ago called Vegan Las Vegas. Oh. And I kept singing it to that tune. You could, you could do a, a cooking show while you're there. <laughs> Great, Shauna. Well, Thank you so much. You're quite welcome. Good luck with everything. Let's not be strangers to each other. Let's stay in touch more. And I want you to go forth, spread the gospel of monks and punks. Yes. Tell the world. That's right. Namaste. Lots of good people on. Yes. Yes. Tell the world we need more monks. We need more punks. It's becoming my catchphrase. Okay. And you can say it after me. Monks and punks unite. (laughs) Monks and punks unite. Yeah! All right. (laughs) Namaste. Thank you. See you soon. Take care. Bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of Monks and Punks. To stay in touch with us, read my substack under my name, Sander Hicks. There are new materials there on nonviolence and the radical historical Jesus. Here at Monks and Punks, our theme music is by White Collar Crime. You can check out that old band over at Bandcamp. Look under White Collar Crime Punk NYC dot Bandcamp, etc. We are sponsored by Zen Spacemakers. That's an innovative general contractor for loft beds and home renovations. Check out loftbedsnyc.com to see how they can help working people get more space in the city of New York and beyond. Monks and punks, unite. Everything is possible. Everything is possible.